podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Cinnamon rolls and chili on a crisp November day. In the heart of football season, Thanksgiving's on its way. Mashed potatoes, turkeys, green beans not from cans. The Bosco boys are thankful for our diehard bonehead fans. The boys are back, and we are keeping maybe now the longest ongoing bit from this show alive because I'm joined by Derek Young, but no Grant. Derek, is the last time both Grant and I, like, had a show with you, does it go all the way back to double shift the night before National Signing Day where where you said Gavin Potter's locked up and only 12 hours later he committed to KU? Yeah. Yeah, because I remember I did one with you. It was just you. It was in Overland yeah. Park. And that was almost two years ago, I think. And it probably dates back before that. Yeah, we might have done a recruiting show where it was both of us. But for whatever reason, well, and the last time you were on, I wasn't. It was just you and Grant. We we did one in the crossroads together, the three of us. Yep, yep, yep. Well, I think that was the uh, signing day one at, at Double Shift. Okay, that unless, must have been it. Yeah. Unless we made you come to Double Shift multiple times. I can't remember. I don't think so. No, no, we were at two different ones that day. But uh, no, the Crossroads edition was definitely, I think, the last time it was the three of us. Man, well, we're going to have to change that. Well, and hell, even when we hang out. When we hang out, I wasn't able to go. Well, yeah, I wasn't able to go when you guys uh, watched Thursday night football, the doubleheader, and then Grant didn't cut, or Monday night doubleheader, and Grant couldn't come with us to the peanut. Yeah, the, when we hung out, I think we had one time at the Saints to get at Saints together. And, oh, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but yeah, it's pretty slim. Well, we're gonna keep the bit going today. So before we get into it, how are you doing? You, you survived election season, uh, and now you know you go from the bitterness of you know red versus blue to just K State fans infighting. How are you holding up? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd say this is quite often, and at some point, it's probably going to get old for, for many folks, or it's not going to be relevant to, but I'm still at the point, even though I had, and everyone else had dreams of maybe uh, of more title, Big 12 conference implications, you know, uh, at a time or two during the season, I'm still at the point where I kind of just feel fortunate that we're watching football. So I'm going to try to keep that mindset. It's not easy every Saturday. No, I, I agree. And, I, and honestly, I, I, I love it because, you know, we're recording this, on a Monday, we're going to have Monday night football, and then tomorrow we have action, and we're getting some bet. We have college football, you know, Tuesday through Saturday at this point. And uh, I remember it might be the last time you and I talked. The season was still kind of up in the air, uh, so I think both of us were quite pessimistic on that day. So the fact that we're sitting here on you know November 9th, we're recording this. This will publish on the 11th. Uh, you know, the fact that you know. It's still rocking and rolling. I, I'm, I'm pumped. And K-State hasn't even had a game punch yet. You've had some of them in the Big 12. But K-State, you know, they're, they're, they're going forward. I would think that the money would be that they get all 10 games in. Yeah, and I know I did, the, I think, the Blitz feature with Grant, and I was on for one of those before the season. One of the questions was, do you get to all 10 in? I said yes, and it was probably 
uh, more hope than anything. Although I still felt like, yeah, you know, if you have, you have some wiggle room in there that I think that they'll be able to do it. With that being said, although I was probably a little 50% confident or a little bit more that they would get all 10 in, I don't think that I would imagine that – what are we, seven games in? Seven yep. games in with no no uh, no interruptions. Yeah, no interruption whatsoever. Uh, they, I think they do have a little bit of an outbreak going on right now. Um, on the Riley County page, it says there's, I think, not up to nine now mm. cases on the football team. Um, so that's interesting. And, and from what Chris Kleiman had to say on his Big 12 teleconference uh, this morning, which would be Monday morning. I don't know when this will air, but Monday morning. I would imagine it sounded like it was mostly the younger players that they actually wanted to practice more during the bye week so that's unfortunate but at the end of the day it's probably a good thing that it's a bye week and that you're kind of getting another wave in hopefully everyone's okay obviously but if you get that um kind of solved before the next game then you think you'd I wouldn't say smooth sailing but you think that you know the, the the path clears even more that you might be able to get all 10 in without one single interruption of course that also is dictated by your opponent Definitely. Well, and I, I was going to ask this. Uh, Arkansas State, we, we found out that was close to uh, getting pushed. And since it was a non-con game, in all, in all realistic uh, conversations, they probably could have done that. And then Oklahoma was touch and go for a little bit as well. Have there been any other games? Because they at least seemingly seemed to, you know, smooth out from there. Are there any other games that maybe didn't get that much attention on that might have been a little closer than fans think? Uh, to getting postponed? I don't think so. And for Arkansas State and for Oklahoma, I think it wasn't just Kansas State. I think, well, Arkansas State was going through something too after their game with Memphis, I believe it was Memphis. And then for Oklahoma, maybe they weren't up against the number, What? but I think they had some stuff going on at least a little bit, and they were dealing with suspensions too. So I think it was a combination of things that were kind of hurting their roster. So um, it wasn't just K-State for those games either. And, but I think once they got past those two, K-State and the opponent, I don't think that there was anything necessarily touch and go. There was little blips here and there where, where you lose, you know, a handful of players, but not like upwards of around 20 to 25, which I think was the case for game one and, and game two. And then when you look forward, you have game – how many – we got three games left, and it's against yep. Iowa, Iowa State which I think they've kind of had a high number of cases already to the point where I don't think you'd anticipate another high number at some point. Obviously, Baylor's had an incredible number mm-hmm. as well. And then uh, you played Texas. I'm not sure that they have. I know they had one instance. So I think there is definite potential to play all these 10 games uninterrupted. Well, hopefully this nine doesn't turn into anything more. And we'll get into the questions. I didn't send them to you, so you're going to have to go a little blind. But before we yeah. do, I, I know you're you're a betting savant, and I know exactly where you do it. That's over at Bet Online, And I sure hope that you use the promo code armchair because I tell you what, you get all sorts of welcome bonuses to take advantage over at Bet Online when you use promo code armchair. Again, you have – so many great prop bets for all the NFL games. You are, I think they already updated their Heisman odds, their playoff odds. Literally anything you could want to wager on, you could do it over at Bet Online. And guess what? The Masters. The Masters are happening this weekend. Couldn't be more perfect. K State has a buy. The Chiefs have a buy. So if anyone sends me their bet slip, 
with any Masters bet, I will send you a Bosco's Voice koozie and a Christmas card. So get over to Bet Online and use promo code Armchair today. So let's just get into it. We already talked about it a little bit up top about some of the COVID craziness. You had uh, Skylar Thompson, season-ending injury. You had you had a four-game winning streak, now a two-game losing streak. How have you been able to keep your sanity with the roller coaster that has been 2020 football? Yeah, and I'll tell you what, we talked about the first two games kind of being ones that were not interrupted, but maybe disrupted was the word for, for the games against Arkansas State and, and Oklahoma. And since then, it's kind of been the injury bug, right? Because obviously you, you lost Skylar Thompson for the season. You've lost Bradley Moore for at least one game. We'll see what happens against Iowa State. He's probably questionable or a little bit better than that. Wyking Gill broke his arm out, out for the season. Um, A.J. Parker missed a game at, at nickel. I'm uh, trying to think. T.J. Smith, uh, yeah, a, a T.J. Smith that was was playing safety, and he played nickel early. He uh, got injured in practice and is out for the season. Cooper Beebe missed the game, I believe. Noah Johnson missed a huge chunk of the Arkansas State game. Uh, just kind of going through the the Rolodex. Derek Newton, obviously, the the, the stuff that happened with him and in, in, uh, going to the transfer portal and then passing away. He was someone that was playing on the defensive line. Joshua Youngblood was someone that they were, you know, intending to depend on at some point, at least a little bit this year on offense. And now he's in the transfer portal and not with the program. Joe Irvin is a guy that opted out at running back, who I think would have been probably a more impactful player than Jacardi Wright this year. I think he, he was, he played before Jacardi Wright when they were both true freshmen last season. So I think he would have been someone they wanted to rely on and he opted out and, uh, you know, hasn't played this season. So there's, you know, Deuce was banged up for one game. Trotter was banged up for a game or two. And now, you know, Sammy Wheeler, I don't know what his status will be for the remainder or for at least the Iowa State game because he got injured, you know, last week against uh, Oklahoma State when he had that long reception in the second half against the Cowboys. That kind of put them, we were thought, maybe in position to take back the lead in that contest. Malik Knowles' health has been on and off. Phillip Brooks has been playing banged up. And I think I'm probably missing a few things at wide receiver because that's a group that's really been hit. Yeah, and I don't have any inside information, but I know Sebastian Taylor hasn't looked himself the last two weeks, so it wouldn't surprise me if he was battling through something as well. Yeah, so all those things kind of combined. And Justin Gardner was not available and didn't yeah. play in this past game against Oklahoma State. and. You, you know, Lance Robinson, I think, started in the first game, and now I think he opted out. So so that's another corner down as well because, of, in the, you know, game one, the corners were A.J. Parker and Lance Robinson. They were the opening day starters, your cornerback, and won the jobs in fall camp. Then Lance Robinson uh, was unavailable for a couple of weeks, and then he opted out. A.J. Parker uh, was moved to nickel because of all the, the shuffling going around. So just no continuity with the season, and some of it not even related to COVID. Or, or I guess the, the injuries, maybe they are related to COVID because we didn't have a regular offseason. Yeah, very true. So the last two games, K-State has started to turn the ball over. They haven't gotten a special teams game-changing play. They haven't turned the other team over. Uh, obviously, you know, a lot of that, uh, a lot of things caused the last two losses. But is the fact that, hey, these are the only two games that you haven't had, you know, turning them over, you're turning it over, and not getting a special teams, uh, is it just proof of 
you know, how little margin of error this team has if they do want to win games? I think so, and especially when you have a true freshman in an offense that was already still trying to figure themselves out, too. It wasn't perfect when Skylar Thompson was in, was in there either, and they were going through some things and growing pain still because they had an entire new offensive line. I think we think that, you know, the entire thing's on this quarterback, which, you know, Will Howard made some critical mistakes in each of the last two games, but when you and, and sometimes it's frustrating. I'm, I'm right there with everyone when you're watching it. But at the same time, there were still things pulling your hair out when, when it wasn't Will Howard, too. That's just kind of the product of the team that kind of have this season and the limitations that they have on offense. Because now not only are you getting zero production out of the wide receiver unit, which you thought maybe would have to be the position to maybe carry the weight of the season, you have an entire new offensive line. You're having injuries at tight end. Your wide receivers aren't showing up. They were hit by COVID, then they were hit by injuries, and they were hit by the transfer portal. Um, Opt-outs hit the running back room, and then Skylar Thompson out for the season. So I think, yes, it is indication that there were the margin for error is little, but it didn't have to be. I think it just – everything that's happened kind of made it that way. So I don't think it's just like, oh, we're – you know, little old Kent State has no margin for error, you know. Um, like every other season that everyone tries to say. I don't think it had to be that way. I think it's just the circumstances of the season just made it that way because there's little to grasp at on the offensive end. So when we're talking about those things and how they are an indication of little margin for error, that's true. Probably more of an indication that they're just – they can't rely on just the offense. The offense isn't good enough to that be the only source of uh, point production. Yeah, speaking of the offense, this has become a trend. Uh, shout out to Cole Manback, who had some stats on this. But specifically, the Oklahoma State game, they stalled out so much in that third quarter. Is there anything that you can, you know, point to your finger in that third quarter versus Oklahoma State where you're like, okay, this is why the offense just couldn't figure it out that quarter? They barely had any plays. So when, when you need some somebody to break something free and to open something up to give yourself another set of downs uh, so you have a sample size that you can kind of understand what the defense is trying to do. Some of that is just like they were so poor so nobody was doing anything that it was hard to really uh, pinpoint where to attack me at, at some point. There – you know, there's little things here and there. Inside zone wasn't working as much in the running game, and I kind of wanted to see them maybe pull away from it more than they did. And KSU underscore fan kind of uh, highlighted that pretty well in, in the RKSO show with him and Flando and Chris Nelson, and, and they'll probably be the same when we uh, publish expert analysis as well. But uh, maybe that's the X and O thing that kind of would have made me, you know, want to see them take a different route and, and obviously – just wasn't enough plays in, in the third quarter. Um, but the third quarter, you know, as Cole Manbeck did tweet out, um, he, we do PowerCat game day together as well. And, you know, it's kind of been a trend that are climbing that they kind of struggled on offense in the third quarter. Plenty of games where they didn't get any points in the third quarter. Uh, but the, the inverse is also true. I know it was a couple of weeks ago and the opponent is one of the worst teams in, F, in Power 5 football history. But you know, one of their best point production drive productions of the entire year came in the third quarter against Kansas. Now, obviously, the Jayhawks are literally possibly going to have the worst power five team of this decade and, and maybe the last two decades. But at the same time, that, you know, that's probably had a lot to do with it. So, no, it's maybe something to keep paying attention to. Um, maybe unfair 
a little bit this year because I think they're going to struggle in more than just the third quarter. Yep. So what have you made of the development of Will Howard this season so far? Obviously, he does have a stacked deck against him. Uh, we, we talked about in our last two shows. I know Jimmy had a nice little rant on your show. I think that anyone who is saying black and white, Will Howard doesn't have it. I think they're a fool. They're wrong. Um, and, a, again, I, I said it once. I'll say it again. I think the reason why the expectations were put on him are because people wanted to detract from Skylar Thompson and built up Will Howard as a way of doing that. I'm not going to go on that big rant. Again, I think everyone who listens to this show knows my stance on all that. But uh, despite all, despite that deck that is stacked against Will Howard, I haven't seen him make any sort of realistic or at least to my dumb fan eye, like jump in, uh, you know, quality of play since he took over. Is that too harsh even when you do take into account the deck is stacked? Or has it just kind of been like, yeah, he hasn't really made a jump, but, you know, what do you expect? Where do you land on that spectrum? Yeah, probably in the middle, and that's not going to make anyone happy. So everyone's probably going to be angry with me, because, and, and that's typically where I fall on a lot of things, so no, no surprise there. Uh, probably in the middle. I don't think we've seen gigantic leaps, um, I think, to the naked eye of a casual observer. It probably hasn't changed much one way or another. Um, you talked about black and white. You can't really just say, oh, you know, he hasn't shown enough. He's not the guy. That's that's not the way to go about it. But and I think the reverse is also true. I, I don't think I've seen anything black to or enough to say black and white. He definitely is the guy. And I think that's a fair assessment right now. And and I think there would be a lot of people, uh, maybe Will Howard himself too, that says, you know what, haven't proved anything yet, not proved anything good or or bad. Or, good, bad, indifferent, right or wrong. Nothing has really happened to really shape an opinion because this is kind of how it goes with a true freshman. Um, some some games it's going to look like regression um, because he gets overwhelmed. But that's probably his perk. I don't think he has been overwhelmed. I think he got greedy in the last drive and threw the ball downfield when he didn't have to and he could have just dumped it off of Shabazzan Taylor. But I don't think that's like – him not seeing it, I bet he did see it. I bet he got greedy because that's what freshmen do and that's when they can get into trouble. I bet he started pressing when he when he turned it over the first time and then when he turned it over the second time. And that's not a sign of a bad quarterback. That's a sign of a freshman. So a lot of the bad things that I'm seeing are signs of just a freshman being a freshman. And his true freshman numbers still to this date are pretty identical to the other – starting quarterbacks in this league when they were true freshmen. Sam Ellinger had more interceptions than touchdowns at this point. So did Brock Purdy. So did I'm trying to think of, you know, a ton of other Charlie quarterbacks. Charlie was in there, I think, as well. Yeah. They're every every starting quarterback in this league right now um, had very similar numbers to what Will Howard has right now through five games. Uh, Max, I think Max Dugan's numbers were worse because he really was turning it over. So, um, and Spencer Sanders is still a turnover machine to this day. And he's a, what well, he's a sophomore. How did he not, how did he not turn it over with us? No, he came close. Oh my God. Plenty, so many times. times. Yeah. They had good fortune oh. and good luck on their side when they were in Manhattan. So I, but I also haven't been completely, you know, blown away and be like, Oh my gosh, but you know what? This isn't Trevor Lawrence. So that's not going to happen for a true freshman. And, and, and it's also, we're judging him on a five, game set against other quarterbacks in this league on a five game set when they had spring football probably before they had to do this 
and he didn't get that because of the pandemic. Uh, Sam Ellinger definitely had a spring football or two before he started really playing because I think he was actually sharing time with Shane Michelle because they couldn't figure out who was better at the time. So, uh, yeah, that's a lot to consider. It's true freshmen right now are playing in uncharted waters because typically when a true freshman plays, he just had a spring football and none of the guys did. So this is different and something that we're going to have to adapt to and we probably need to change the way we're judging, engaging, and, and evaluating a little bit too and, and kind of putting it on a curve for now until after they at least get a spring football because the, the biggest jump in Will Howard's development is going to come this upcoming spring when he can really sit down and not have to worry about game week prep from you know, Saturday to Saturday and actually just focus on becoming a better quarterback. Because yet, I think folks lose sight of that too. When you're in game weeks and you're in a season, you really can't, you know, talent develop a whole lot. That's why coaches talk about doing it during the bull week prep because you have so many practices or doing it during the bye week because you're going to give your starters, you know, time off anyway. You don't really get time to talent develop because you're really just scheming and just practicing over and over the plays that you're going to run and how to prepare for that opponent. You're just practicing for that opponent. You're not necessarily practicing to get better in a game week. So he hasn't had any practices in his career to really develop him as a football player because that would have happened in the spring. It's not going to happen in game weeks. Yeah. And again, this will be a deeper conversation to dive into uh, definitely either before, during, or after spring ball. But, I mean, have, like, you're going to have this spring, you're going to have three scholarship quarterbacks who will technically be carrying a freshman designation with Jake yes. Rubley, Jaron Lewis, and current quarterback one, Will Howard. Um, I'll be very interested to see, A, how that competition sh- shakes out. I think Will Howard's definitely the – going to be the odds on uh, favor, I think pretty heavy odds, but again, be how the staff handles it and see how those players handle it. Because, you know, that talk about uncharted waters, especially with the eligibility ruling. I mean, we'll, we probably won't know how exactly how it's all going to shake out until, you know, year two or three down the road. Yeah, that's going to be a big item of conversation throughout the spring. I would imagine that, I don't, I don't know if it's overwhelming odds either, but that's a different subject and that'll be dictated by how the final three games go as well, I think. And, and, and who knows if Skylar Thompson comes back or not. Um, obviously th- there's going to be, I guess, freedom to do that under the new rules. And I couldn't tell you either way how that's going to shake out. I would lean toward him not coming back obviously, but um, obviously no real conviction or inside information of the sort on that front either. If it is the three freshmen, I would imagine that they'll go into spring football with that being a wide open position battle, in my opinion. And But with the way that they like to have a little bit of conclusions and clear answers on that position heading into the offseason, so to speak, I would imagine that they want to leave spring football knowing who their quarterback will be. Definitely. We'll keep moving on. So t- a true, another true freshman, Deuce Vaughn, he had such a hot start to the season. You know, there's even a shadow Heisman campaign I was a part of uh, secretly. But sadly, he uh, he's kind of gone into – hit a wall uh, the last two games. This is as simple as saying, hey, those are the two best defenses case it's played, coupled with maybe being banged up a little bit. Or is there maybe more play there? Have teams figured out a way to isolate him? 
well, team, I don't think teams really figure out a way to isolate him. They kind of miss some opportunities. And I actually thought he left quite a bit of yards on the field against Oklahoma State. Um, yeah, here's a hot take, and I don't think it's really that hot in my opinion. That's why I'm giving it, and I and I said it in the the position grades. But Harry Goddard was a was a better running back, not just stats wise. You watch rewatch the game. I did twice, and he got more, obviously was more efficient, and he got more yards, and he also ran harder, and he also got more of the yards available to him as well in general than Deuce Vaughn. So hot take, you know. I know how the year is gone, but Harry Trotter played a pretty good game against Oklahoma State. And I think Deuce Vaughn just wasn't as good as we typically see him because there was definitely opportunities for him to break free. He just didn't do it. I remember he had a one-on-one opportunity in the middle of the field, too, where he always you know, wins. And Oklahoma State guy made a great play, got him in the tackle. If not, it's probably a 65-yard touchdown as well. So um, some of that was him going the wrong way, which comes into a little bit of performance. Some of it is that. Um, what I just laid out, I I don't think that the injury bothered him as much as what people tried to portray. Um, at least, you know, they did against West Virginia. I'm not so sure. The coaches certainly downplayed it as well. And then I also think that there is – I don't think teams have figured it out, but I think they can devote a little bit more attention to him because no one else on the offense is really scaring them at this point. Now, that's obviously true, and that perfectly leads into my next question, which is wild because, like I said, I didn't even send these to you. You're a pro. This is why you're the best in the biz. Uh, what's been going on with the wide receivers? Is it as easy as chalking it up to, okay, injuries, uh, you know, you had season-ending injuries, nagging injuries, and then you have Youngblood, a guy who you thought was going to be a performer, uh, transfer out, and, you know, it just being a thin, you know, room anyways just because of the offense they run you're not going to carry as many wide receivers as you will at Oklahoma or is there something more at play there from your eye a little bit of everything I think uh and there, there is nagging injuries to Philip Brooks and a nagging injury to Malik Knowles Wyking Gill broke his arm is out for the season Joshua Youngblood in the transfer portal Landry Weber got hurt in the last game uh, Landry Weber also missed two games, I think, for being unavailable, as did Seth Porter. Shabaston Taylor is kind of in the only constant. And, you know, obviously he didn't have a very prolific game against Oklahoma State either. And so he has to be better uh, as well. And and we're also – and you're not going to ding anyone for getting hurt. Certainly I'm not either. No one should. But we're also getting into the territory where – you know, injuries are not an excuse, but if you're always injured, then you're not really making yourself valuable to the team. And if you're, you know, they have two or three like that throughout the year, it's going to hurt. So that's a product of, or that's one of the causes. And it's not, it's, you, you feel bad for them, obviously, but at this point, Malik Knowles not being available or not being healthy hardly any week is hurting the team more than any just as much as you know he's being hurt um and then so and he's supposed to be their best guy he's their most talented guy so that hurts and but at the so at the end of the day bad luck I mean first two weeks so I mean some of the guys some of these guys missed during the season missed a month of practice so um that's tough it really is losing Joaquin Gill that's tough losing Josh Mjumbo that's tough so you have half the room missed a month of practice you know, a third of the room is gone or not available for the rest of the year. 
and uh, another third of the room is playing hurt. And the other third, like Shabaston Taylor, Keenan Garber, where it's not enough, clearly. So a little bit of everything. You would like them to be better than what they are putting on the field because like, well, you're on the football field, you got to perform, you know. Um, Phil Brooks, you're on the football field, you got to perform. I know, I know they're banged up, but you got to perform. If you don't, then that, we're going to see what we're seeing. Is there any way to fix that in the future? I mean, I, I'm not smart enough to know, but you might be. It's tough because I know you, you can do that through recruiting. But here's the thing. They, they, they entered this season with, I want to say, eight receivers in scholarship, maybe nine. I got it. I can pull it up real quick. I think it was uh, nine. But here's the receivers on scholarship. It was eight. Eight receivers on scholarship to start the 2020 season. Viking Gill. Sebastian Taylor, Landry Weber, Malik Knowles, Philip Brooks, Joshua Youngblood, Keenan Garber, Jalen Travis. Yeah, you do have two guys committed in Brendan Hawkins of Texas and RJ Garcia of Florida, both high schoolers. So, and out of that eight I named, only two for sure will not count against the 85 next year. Liking Gill can come back if he wants, of course, but he's not going to count against the 85. Uh, and Joshua Youngblood is in the transfer portal, is not returning, so he's not going to count against the 85. So if you're going to have eight or nine again, well, you know, six of those are still going to be on scholarship. And Shabaston Taylor, Landry Weber, Malik Knowles, Philip Brooks, Keenan Garber, Jalen Travis. You're not going to give up, Keenan, give up on Keenan Garber this soon. You're not going to give up on Jalen Travis this soon. Philip Brooks is not going anywhere. Landry Weber is not going anywhere. Shabaston Taylor is not going anywhere. Malik Knowles isn't going anywhere if he wants to stay. Um, obviously, you know, he's been in Manhattan for quite a while now and gets homesick and dealt with a personal issue over the summer so we'll see but let's just assume he, he'll return because he's would certainly be normal if he did but obviously possible that that he didn't so we'll say he does come back so you're only losing two off that count um and you have two committed so it's not like you can just go get because I, I see this go get two or three transfers and just fix the wide receiver unit well now you're three over a wide receiver it means you're gonna be three under somewhere else and <laughs> And unless they're grad transfers, unless they're grad transfers. Unless, unless they're grad transfers. But I think you're kind of selling your soul to one season. You, you are selling your soul for one season, and you're, and you're hindering the development of anyone on your current roster, and then the next following season is just going to be the same amount of pain. Um, so that's where they are. You, you go get, grab two or three, sure, do it, but it means you're three less somewhere else. You know what? I, I, I know this is going to really frustrate people to hear me say this because I get it that they are very unhappy with the wide receiver unit as it stands right now. But they actually need transfers more at safety and linebacker than they do wide receiver at this point. They really do. All right, so what do you think the K-State's going to get out of their offense in these final three games? Is there any way that they could muster up enough points to possibly win out and keep the Arlington dream alive? Sure. It's always possible. I mean, they almost beat Oklahoma State, and they're, they're supposed the best team in the Big 12. They should have beat Oklahoma State in my mind. Uh, to be honest, if I was a fan, and I, I try not to be, sometimes I am, but if, but if I was, that might have been – and I know West Virginia last year sucked losing West Virginia because they were – Kansas State was the better team. And I know losing Arkansas State this year sucked because obviously Kansas State's the better team, and there was no excuse for that. But just in terms of what was on the line and the magnitude of the game and what it could have meant, 
last Saturday's game against Oklahoma State to me was the most frustrating loss to the Chris Kleiman era because it was that winnable. They outplayed Oklahoma State by so much. It wasn't even funny. Oklahoma State, not to take any away from what Kansas State did, obviously, especially on the defensive end, absolutely great. They, and, they, and Kansas State did play much better against Oklahoma State than they did West Virginia. But Oklahoma State had no interest in that game for the, for the most part until it got to a point in the second half. I mean, they were really bad in the first half. Kansas State controlled the line of scrimmage still in the second half for the most part, too. So, no, that game followed the Chris Kleiman script of how to win football games, and he still found a way to lose. So, to me, that was the most frustrating loss of the Chris Kleiman era so far in Manhattan. And you can pin it on the Will Howard stuff at the end if you want, but there was more opportunities than that. I mean, obviously, if he doesn't fumble, if he doesn't throw a pick, you're giving yourself more opportunities later than what you actually had. I get that. But those field goals instead of touchdowns in, in the first half were were really backbreakers at the end of the day, too. Definitely. So have we ever asked you on the show if you're a boxers or briefs guy? I'm a briefs. Well, I'll tell you this. The best boxer briefs in the world are over at manscaped.com. I have no idea why they don't talk about them. But honestly, you, if you don't have a pair, you should get some. They're amazing. They also have the Weed Whacker, which is a nose and ear trimmer. 79, this is wild, 79% of partners polled said that long ear and nose hair is a major turnoff. So, you know, DY, if you want a 9,000 RPM ear and nose hair trimmer, get over to manscaped.com and get the Weed Whacker. And of course, they have the Lawnmower 3.0. I use it to shave my entire body from the neck down so get over there use promo code armchair for 20 percent off and free shipping and as always bet online is the exclusive online wagering partner of the armchair media network get over there use promo code armchair to get some pretty good odds on patrick mahomes to be the nfl mvp he would be the runaway mvp if there wasn't a vendetta and a straight up honestly if you want to talk collusion collusion and voter fraud it's mvp voting the media going all in on this russell wilson bullshit no if you want some voter collusion it is russell wilson uh, nfl mvp so you can get great odds for my plus, true plus plus 200 right now right? yeah exactly so get over there and bet on patrick mahomes to win mvp or not i'm not going to tell you how to wager but if you send me in a bet slip for the masters I will send you a Bosco's Boys koozie and a Christmas card. Let's flip over to the defensive side real quick. Uh, was the defense, like, just getting back to them being a legitimately good borderline top of the Big 12 type defense versus Oklahoma State only giving up 13 points? Because, again, seven of those came from the uh, scoop and score. Um, or so making the West Virginia game a fluke? Or did it have more to do with some injury issues with Oklahoma State? All right. A little bit of both. Hell played down the middle again. Obviously, it's it's real nice not having to defend Tyler Wallace on the outside, even though Kansas State's pretty good on the outside. But that's that's nice because outside of Dylan Stoner, there probably isn't another real guy that scares you at receiver from Oklahoma State. Uh, and then they stopped the run in the first half, even when it was you know LD Brown was stopped too. Chuba Hubbard never got going. I think he had six carries the entire game, so he must have been going through something, three carries in each half. Um, so that was a blessing. It's tough to tackle him. Some of it is the offense was able – I mean, they had more longer sustained drives against Oklahoma State than they did against West Virginia where they were no help. So 
I think he got a little bit of assistance from the offense, didn't have to keep going back out there, back out there, back out there, having a shorter field to deal with, anything of that sort. And and they tackled better, less explosive plays. They leveraged the ball. They knew where to have the play flow. If you're going to give up a bigger play, then you need to know where to push it towards where you're going to cap it off at 20 or 25 and then not go for the – you know, the 50, 60, 70 that it did against West Virginia. So they were more disciplined in terms of leveraging the ball. Because when I when I say they need to tackle better, typically I'm not really talking about getting them to the ground. Because when you don't get a guy to the ground, that's more usually an effort issue, which you don't have it, really never have at K-State, whether it was Snyder or Kleiman, never an effort issue. Or two, because that guy's really freaking athletic and tough to bring to the ball, down to the ball ground. So it was more of an athletic differential that you, you know, really can't do anything about unless you're on the recruiting trail and getting better athletes. So, so when I say tackling, it's usually leveraging the ball and just know where to push it and to prevent explosive plays. Because if you can funnel something towards a 15-yard play, even though you're giving up 15 yards, that's still good tackling. So I think they did that much better because they didn't do that against West Virginia. And I think there was a point at West Virginia, and maybe not everyone will agree with this when they're listening to this, but I think there was a, the, the cat came off the hose. And, and, you know, not that they mailed it in, but when sometimes once the hose keep starts really bursting out, it ain't going to stop. So, and I think that happened against West Virginia too. And when it, the game is a little bit more competitive, it's a little bit, you know, not as much drinking out of the fire hose, too. So I think just a lot of different factors. But and this is a long story, but to, to simplify it, I think it was more of a fluke against West Virginia at the end of the day. But I don't think – and I say I don't think we can expect, you know, shutouts for each half or, or giving up – 13 points to a prolific offense or anything. I say that, but they, they did shut out Texas Tech in the first half as well. They shut out Oklahoma State in the first half and only give up 13 points. They only give up seven points in the first half to TCU and then seven points in the second half to TCU, and they shut out Oklahoma in the fourth quarter. So I say that, but really, there's much more of a resume for this defense that this was more of the norm than what we saw in Morgantown. Yeah, so the defensive line has shown that they can, you know, take over over portions of the game. I've been so impressed with the secondary. They've been solid all year long. But the linebackers for me have been a little bit more high and low, and even saying that there's been a bit of high might be a little uh, generous to them. And looking at Iowa State, the matchup with Iowa State, when you have Brees Hall and that group of tight ends – you, you got to think the linebackers are going to have to step up if you're going to have a good day versus Iowa State. Do you think that that group can be up to the challenge in helping up out containing Brees Hall and that group of tight ends, uh, you know, a week from this next Saturday? This should actually be an easier matchup for the linebackers against Iowa State because now they're not really being put in matchups and slot receivers as much or running backs as much. They're going to see bigger bodies Iowa State is a little bit more of a condensed offense. They'll spread it out some, but they're not going to spread it out much. So this is the most different offense that Kansas State will face in the Big 12 each and every season because they're not going to split you out five wide and throw it 40 times if they can. That's just not what they do, and they have a good running back as well. So in a way, 
your linebackers will probably be less exposed in this game and they'll have to be more physical in this game because they're going to be facing probably beyond bigger bodies because Iowa State will go double tight quite a bit. It's going to be a little bit more like playing themselves in practice rather than other teams in the Big 12. So from a linebacker standpoint, I think this might suit them actually a little bit better just because they're not going to have as unfavorable as matchups. Now I say that, but they're also going to be playing probably the best tight ends in the league as well. Definitely. So do you consider Iowa State the last big challenge for this defense, or do you think Texas and Baylor might be able to uh, cause some issues beyond the Iowa State game? I think Baylor should, even though they, they surprised me a little bit about how they played with Iowa State for a half. Well, you can, thank, you can thank Mr. Purdy for that one. Yeah, right. So, uh, but I, I guess I'm just – I've I've kind of been on this whole fade Baylor thing the entire year, which it still turned out to be okay because Iowa State ran, ended up running away with it a little bit. But uh, I just – yeah, it's hard to buy into Baylor being a threat even though it's in Waco and – they lost that game pretty decisively a year ago. I just – I think the deeper it gets, the worse it will be for Baylor. And they've had the most unfortunate circumstances to play under this entire season. We, we, we've talked about Kansas State's bad luck, but Baylor's probably been the team that's been in the worst spot. So, um, I don't think that's up for, for debate. So, I don't see Baylor being a threat. Iowa State is a threat. I still think Texas might be the bigger one because they're going to be harder to defend for K-State. Obviously, their defense has played well in just about every situation besides Arkansas State for a half against Oklahoma and then the West Virginia game. But I still think Texas is the bigger threat than Iowa State because I think against Iowa State, you, you still will have the comfort of being able to kind of play your own game and kind of being more conducive to what you want to do. And – the, the Cyclones defense is usually pretty good, probably is a notch below this year a little bit. I'll probably have to relook at the stats actually on that one. That might not be right, but just from the naked eye. Brees Hall's the problem, and, and Brees Hall will be a bigger problem than anybody for Texas, I think. And I do like the fact that you do get Texas in December in Manhattan. I think that there's a, a, a good omen there for, for that, but – and so the Iowa State game is a little bit less nicer timing. But it just from a team standpoint, I think Texas overall is probably more challenging for Kansas State than Iowa State is. But the Cyclones are still challenging. If you wanted to, you know, say oh, what what's the record will be the rest of the way, you have three games left against Iowa State, Baylor. I Did you hack my computer? That was the next question. <laughs> uh, no, but you got Iowa State, Baylor, Texas. The best odds should be at one and two, to be quite honest. I think the best odds should be at one and two. And then it's probably – I would take two and one over 0 and three after that. But then I think 0 and three is more likely than, than three and up. I hate Unfortun- you. I hate unfortunate. you. I don't but like I it. Think we'll- well, and I'm scared to ask what the ne- – because the next part of that I had is, okay, like gun to your head, especially since you've been saying it won't be Oklahoma, who do you have in Arlington? And I, I'm, I'm very afraid that I might have to not – like I have to do self-control to not just end the meeting. No, I mean, look, well, we're just going to have to see what happens 
in two weeks because the Kansas State-Iowa State game is going to have a big impact on who goes to Arlington. Because if, if Iowa State wins uh, that game, it really opens up for them. So Kansas State's probably sounds, the biggest. It sounds team. like you want, to per, you want to pick Iowa State to win that game. Don't make me start a competitor site. I don't I'm want gonna, to. I'm going to start ScottWildcat.com. I'm going to poach Flando from you. So I'm just going to move on because I don't want to hear your prediction on I that. Will say that. I will say this. I know I said before the year, and there was a times during the, this season – not too long ago where I was cocky about it, about saying that Oklahoma will not play in the Big 12 championship game. Well, everything that has happened in the last week, two weeks, with Kansas State dropping two games to West Virginia and Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State losing to Texas, Oklahoma, you know, being able to beat Texas, and then Iowa State losing to, to Oklahoma. Oklahoma State. So they still only have one loss, right, in the Big 12. Yeah, and then they have us, Texas, and uh, West Virginia. So with two, well, to left on the schedule, I will say Oklahoma, I guess this is what I was getting ready to say. Oklahoma is probably a lot closer to being back in the big 12 championship game than they ever should be because everyone's kind of tripping over themselves at this point. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to just finish it off, you know, a handful of quick recruiting uh, questions. So with some of the transfers and opt of the opt outs and then the decommitment of Lenoir, I think we finally learned how to say it. Right, right as he leaves, Matthew Lenoir. Uh, but with all those and some of the transfers, how many more guys do you think they want to take in the 2021 class? And what positions are they really trying to eye in on? One last thought I just thought of, because it's, I think it's a good comparison. It'll be an annoying comparison for most people listening to this. But the Oklahoma thing, them kind of walking – Keep backing. Back Are you going to say KU basketball? It's like KU basketball when they went on that big streak, right? There were so many times where that streak should have ended and everyone tripped over themselves and he somehow still figured it out. That feels like that's what's happening right now with Oklahoma football. Um, for the recruiting question, uh, that's tough. I think they want to add a nickel in the corner and a, a, in an offensive tackle high school-wise, maybe another linebacker high school-wise. So three or four high schoolers, I would say, but then the number of transfers will be interesting. I don't know what that is. Um, well, and and you mentioned – They have they have more to play with right now. Than they definitely. You mentioned it earlier, uh, linebacker and safety being the spot where they might be players in the transfer market. Are there any other spots that you foresee them maybe trying to be a player in the transfer market? I mean, wide receiver. I mean, I, I cracked against it. But if you can find a way to wiggle one, I think you could. Um, because they had two committed before Youngblood put his name in the transfer portal, obviously knowing only Viking Gill was going to leave. So maybe there's a spot for one transfer wide receiver. At safety, I just – I think they need something there, right? Because Jonathan Alexander opted out, then he, he's, like, he's out. And then I'm trying to think what else they had going on there. I mean, Jerome McPherson, probably a chance that he's not going to be back. Wayne Jones has struggled to get back in the rotation. Wayne Jones has struggled to get back in the rotation, and he's played nickel more than he has safety. Mm -hmm. And then um, I don't even know if Frost Elder is a junior or senior. I don't know if he'll be back. <laughs> I guess that's pretty bad of me that I don't exactly know. And then uh, so then you keep going down the line. You're like, okay, you know, TJ Smith. Well, he's going to be coming off pretty serious knee surgery. So. Um, yeah. I think safety. I think safety. You almost have to have a transfer linebacker. You could lose three of the four guys you play. You could be losing Cody Fletcher. You could be losing Elijah Sullivan. You could be losing Justin Hughes. 
So that's why I think in terms of the way that the roster shakes out, you, you kind of need a train for more safety and more at linebacker than you would at wide receiver. Do you need one at corner? Because, I mean, I guess we don't know what's going to happen with Keandre Thomas. Um, you probably want to see if you can talk him back into coming back, but you don't I think know. In, so I you, think in the Big 12, you'll take – I would never turn away an option at a – High quality transfer at corner or safety in the Big Twelve. No matter, even you know if you think you have good roster numbers. At least that's me. I'm not a coach. I'm not a recruiting guy. I think in the Big Twelve, you have the opportunity to bring in someone with experience and talent. I would always do it. Yeah, and they kind of have right. Well, this past year they did that with Keandre Thomas and let's see, and Justin Gardner. If you want to consider the JUCOs as part of that. So they went and got Keandre Thomas. They went and got Justin Gardner the year before. They went and got Jonathan Alexander and Marcus Hayes. Um, and they did, a, they did a full blitz to try to get uh, Cox as well at, at linebacker where he actually had depth coming into the season. So I trust them playing in the transfer market. Final question I'll ask before I'll let you let folks know what's going on over at KSO. Uh, you know, 2022, you know, it's going to be their time before we know it tons of in-state talent. Um, when do you see maybe the first couple commits falling for the Wildcats? And do you think it'll come amongst, you know, some of those members of that very talented in-state class of 2022? If I was to guess, I think there's pretty good odds it'll come from the in-state class, whether that's Tyson Struger, Caden Crawford, Jaron Knack, Sterling Lockett. There's some candidates, Nick Herzog. Um, for those, I guess, that aren't recruiting savants or, or follow it every day. Jared Kanak is an athlete from Hayes High School. King Crawford is a defense when well, he plays linebacker, but he'll probably be a college defensive end. He's at Lansing High School. Nick Herzog is an offensive lineman at Blue Valley High School. Uh, Tyson Struber is an athlete that plays wide receiver and safety for Canton Galva High School eight-man football. And Sterling Lockett, of course, everyone should – probably know who that is obviously with the with the name Lockett and he is at Blue Valley playing wide receiver so I, I would say the odds are it'll be one of those five when it does start and we'll, we'll see how that unfolds I don't know if Kanak from Hayes is in a hurry I'm not sure Herzog from Blue Valley is in a hurry I'm not even sure Lockett is in a hurry I would kind of lean towards Crawford and Struber typically put that on premium. So you Bosco's listeners, bonehead to get some good, good content on that. And in terms of when, I think if Kansas State had their way, it would happen anytime soon. And they would like this to really get started anytime between now and Christmas. I think that's kind of the goal or how they envision it. We'll see if it works out that way. I don't know if there is anything imminent, to be quite honest. I can't, I can't really put a number number or a date to it I just I just know that Kansas State probably would like to see it happen in the next month and a half definitely so that's all I had again Grant and I both are subscribers over there and even though we sometimes beef with the message boards the premium content that you guys put out there literally is second to none if you're a K-State fan I don't want to uh you know Sit, tell folks not to subscribe other places but if you're only going to subscribe to one place for additional k-state content i couldn't imagine choosing any other place other than k-state online so derek tell the listeners what they might uh you know be looking forward to if they are a subscriber or they might be a subscriber soon 
uh, in the next few uh, days, next coming weeks. And then also tell, tell the Boneheads anything you'd like to. Uh, well, it's a bye week, of course. So not, not going to have a ton of team content because I don't think that what we're still kind of unpacking the Oklahoma State game. So if you're into that and some in-depth analysis, we have some folks like Chris Nelson and KSU underscore fan and, and I think myself and that'll, that are kind of really good about doing that kind of stuff, rewatching, kind of giving the analytics behind everything, even the tendencies that are kind of happening within the offense or the defense. I think they're all pretty good at that. So we're still unpacking it. Not necessarily a game to prepare for because it is the bye week. So we'll probably be a little bit heavier on recruiting. So if you like really good quality football recruiting coverage and even basketball recruiting coverage, because I think the early signing period starts in, I think it'll be on Wednesday actually. But uh, so I think we'll have that. We'll cover that wall to wall like we always do. And Grant Flanders is the pro when it comes to that area. And if you like, you know, basketball, even though maybe, you know, you're not truly super excited about maybe the prospects of the season and how the team is going to look. Um, they're at least going to be a fun group, very young group. So you get to find out more about the players in the future. And if so, we're going to be previewing a lot of that because it is the bye week. So the bye week, uh, we're still unpacking the Oklahoma State game, but a lot of recruiting stuff, and a lot of basketball stuff on the way. Definitely. I do want to give a shout out to Grant Flanders. I'll probably be reaching out to him for our basketball preview episode. Maybe dropping on Monday. I don't know. I need to talk to the man. I think he's celebrating a uh, anniversary with his beautiful girlfriend today, so I'm not going to bother him until tomorrow. But Flando is the best in the biz when it comes to basketball. And it's not just basketball recruiting. I would gamble that there isn't anyone who is involved in covering K-State athletics that has a better pulse on the basketball program than Mr. Flanders. So I think if you're a K-State fan at all and if you're going to subscribe to – you know, any additional journalistic stuff or any sort of insider stuff, it, it, it should be over at KSA Online. And you know what? If you subscribe over there and if you don't think it's worth your money, then I'm not going to pay for it, but I might punch you in the face because you're an idiot. So, Derek, thank you as always for coming on. I appreciate everything you do. One of these days, we'll get Grant on at the same time. But until then, hopefully we can meet up, get some wings again soon. And maybe, in, well, we won't invite Grant until he's gotten over COVID. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, thanks for coming on. Everyone, uh, get over to Case Online. I promise you it's going to be worth your money. Uh, tweet at Grant, tell him to survive COVID. And uh, that's all I have. Uh, you know, Derek, if this was your show, you'd say tell your friends, but this is our show, so I'm going to say meet Grant at the Cathead. A narrower category than is often the case in Final Jeopardy, architecture. Players, here's your clue. Begun in the 1170s on former marshland, it has been called a perfect imperfection and a legendary mistake. 30 seconds, good luck. I have a feeling we're going to end this week on a positive note. Thembi, we come to you first. What is the Leaning Tower of Pisa? Right you are. 
and you add 6,600, almost doubling your score, taking you up to 13,300. Let's go to your left to Jason Lyon. He had 9,400. We're looking for the Tower of Pisa. It's easy to find. It's leaning, and you've got it. And your wager, sir. 9,399, that moves you up to 18,799 and into the lead. Let's come to our champion, Philip. Leaning Tower of Pisa, yes. Did he risk more than 600? 1,800, he did, he remains champion. He gets to come back next week. Picks up 20,000 today, gives him a two-day total of 43,000, which sounds pretty good to me. Great game, players, thank you so much. And thank you, so long, we'll see you Monday. Podcast Network.